The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. This is a two-person race, right? It's between Trump and Nikki Haley. Um, but at the end of the day, this is a two-person race. And, and, and I'm sure that this is a two-person race where if Trump can't get 50% of the vote, which he cannot in New Hampshire, um, then he's in trouble. And finally, we can start moving forward as a party, bringing everyone together. The only person moving is Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley can make up five or ten points and, and kind of give Trump that defeat that no one thought was possible in the next few weeks. And I think that's very likely to happen. I think the thing that's interesting here, we could be in for a surprise where Trump's number on caucus day doesn't match the polls. Haley is gaining in New Hampshire. She ought to be able to do okay in South Carolina, her home state. So if she were somehow able to get in second place in Iowa uh, and everybody else dropped out, maybe Vivek won't drop out, but you know, then she could get a clear shot at Trump. How concerned are you about Trump inciting violence against election officials in 2024? Oh, it, yeah, exceedingly. You're already seeing threats of violence against the Colorado Supreme Court against the Secretary of State of Maine. And I think this will be a tool that we see during the course of the 2024 campaign. And in many ways, though Donald Trump did not give rise to political violence, he kind of mainstreamed it through failing to condemn it and at times stoking it. Fundamentally, a second Trump term could mean the end of American democracy as we know it. And I, I don't say that lightly. Turnout will exceed expectations and it's going to help Joe Biden win decisively next year. Because the Biden administration is a law-abiding administration, unlike the Trump administration, which collected millions of dollars from foreign governments. Plenty more fake news in store for 2024. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on this uh, Monday morning as we flip the page on the calendar year and head into, well, we've talked about the war in 24. We're going to talk a lot about world events in 2024 as well. So much to get to on today's show. Lots to get to on the shows in 2024. What a year this is going to be. You can get to the live video stream of this show at TrumpetDaily.com or at our Rumble channel. That would be rumble.com forward slash Trumpet Daily. And there you can join in on the live conversation. You can leave us some feedback. Of course, you can leave us feedback by emailing the show as well, td at the trumpet.com. But if you are at Rumble, make sure, make sure, in fact, I haven't even done it. Make sure you give us the Rumble thumbs up so that you can up our help to up our ratings in 2024. The earthquake in Japan, just to start on a sobering note, um, Richard Palmer, I believe, wrote about this in this morning's Trumpet Brief. I guess there were a series of earthquakes, the the worst of it at 7.5 on the Richter scale. You had the authorities over there. Yeah, it brought to mind this 2011 cover. Uh, Will Japan ever be the same? (laughs) They're no strangers to earthquakes and tsunamis. They were warning of a tsunami Earlier today, I guess they've downgraded that warning to some extent. In any event, a sobering start to this calendar year. And really, if you watched the, the montage, the mega montage that we have every year at the end of the calendar year, I mean, it, it ended, at least in terms of our broadcasting, it ended on a pretty sobering note with Friday's uh, broadcast as well. So here we are. It's uh, January 1st. 2024. But let's let's now begin with a little bit of a lighter moment. We had some of those last week on the show with the clown the clown show montage. I think that was on uh, Wednesday's pro- no, that was Thursday's program. I think the TD blooper. We had, we had a few funny moments last week. The TD bloopers on Wednesday. You can get to all of the uh, the previous shows at either of those two sites, the Rumble Channel or TrumpetDaily.com. But the, uh, the clown show montage, I think that was on Thursday's uh, program. This is from uh, a Chris Christie campaign ad, and uh, it, it, I'm just going to give you a snippet. This is uh, clip 13. Some people say I should drop out of this race. Really? I'm the only one saying Donald Trump is a liar. 
I think you're the only one saying that you're the only one saying that Donald Trump is a liar. Everyone and their dog is saying Donald Trump is a liar. You can't get a job as a talking head on one of the cable news networks. unless That's probably the first question. In the interview, that's probably the first question they ask you. Do you believe Donald Trump was a liar? Are, are you prepared to say that uh, on national TV? Yes, I am. Every day of the week, twice on Sunday. Everyone says he's a liar. And there he is. I didn't even know a Chris Christie campaign ad existed. I thought his entire campaign was fueled by MSNBC bringing him on the air to say how much he hated Trump. But sure enough, that that campaign ad, by the way, that was found by Audrey at our Florida outpost this morning. She's probably the only resident in Florida that has even seen a Chris Christie campaign ad. And now you have, or at least you've seen a snippet of it. There you go. He's the only one saying that Donald Trump is a liar. This, this interview that ABC had, by the way, with the three women, the, uh, one of them was on the cold open there, but these three women that used to be in the Trump White House, I've made the point before about just how many of these venomous, hateful, anti-never-Trumpers are women. They, they trot out the women, in this case, women who used to serve in the Trump uh, White House. Let's just listen to a little bit of this. Again, to continue with the clown show theme, just for a little bit now into 2024. This is clip eight. What would it mean in your mind if Donald Trump became president again? What would a second Trump term look like? Fundamentally, a second Trump term could mean the end of American democracy as we know it. And I, I don't say that lightly. We all witnessed him trying to steal a democratic election before and going to historic and unconstitutional lengths to do so. And that just shows that he's willing to basically break every barrier to get into power and to stay into power. The end of democracy. That, there's a new one. <laughs> They're going to run with this for the next 10 months. We'll try to limit our play of this nonstop echo chamber. But there you, there's more fake news in store for 24. You can be sure about that. Here's another snippet. This is clip nine. Um, Listen, I'll say this with Donald Trump is um, what scares me as much as him and his retribution is the almost cult-like following he has over his most diehard supporters. Um, the, the, the threats, the harassment, the death threats that you get when he targets you and he's deliberate in targeting um, is, is, is really horrifying and has no place in our American discourse. And it's unlike anything I've seen in the decades plus I've been in politics. Um, I'm less worried for any like personal aspect for me, but it is he knows how to use government better this time. He can put in diehard loyalists who can weaponize every level of government against his detractors, against the American people, against the media. It's it's almost too scary to fully wrap your head around what it could look like. He could put in diehard loyalists. He could put in Trump supporters. <laughs> can you imagine a president? putting in someone that's really behind his agenda. This is what the American people want. That's why he's running away with it in the polls. And there they, there they are again, a familiar refrain. The, the cult-like support among Trump followers and, uh, and so on. I think in this next clip, the other two. China, you've got an appearance made by the clavicles lady. She, she's, not, she's not going away. She had her book tour and all those things. Who, who knows how many books she sold, but she was out and about during that time. And here she is again, thanks to ABC. This is uh, clip 10. The American people and people in general have short memories. And so they might forget the chaos of the Trump years. And also they might not just be paying attention to what he's saying now and the threat to democracy that exists. And so it does really concern me if he makes it to a general that he could win. And so I'm still hopeful that we can defeat him in the primary, but we're running out of time. Our singular focus needs to be, if he is the nominee, on making sure that he is not elected the president again next November. Even if that means electing a Democrat. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. She, she takes the same tone uh, as she did with that, uh, that riveting clavicles testimony. That's the way she talks with because it's so serious. You see, serious with four or five R's. So this is very, very serious. 
So says the clavicles lady. The best part, this is in our estimation, the best part of this sit-down with the three former, form, they used to serve in the Trump White House. And so ABC, I mean, they're gleeful. If they can get Chris Christie, who's a Republican, quote unquote, if they can get him to say he hates Trump or three ladies that used to work for Trump to say they hate Trump, then they're going to be given a platform. This was our favorite moment in this uh, interview with the three former members of the Trump White House, clip 11. In response to our interview with these three women who worked in the Trump White House, the Trump campaign gave us a statement calling them, quote, ungrateful grifters who used opportunities given to them by President Trump to benefit themselves and who had gone, quote, full Judas. It's perfect. It's a perfect. It's exactly what you would expect from Donald Trump. Ungrateful grifters. You know, one of those women talked about the short term memory of Americans. Well, what about how quickly? Talk about short term. Look at how quickly so many of these people flip. And all of a sudden they're just stabbing Donald Trump in the back. There's so much incentive to do it because then you can get on the shows. Then you can write the tell all book. They are grifters. They're in it for themselves. They're in it for themselves. So like Judas, they're willing to betray the man they used to work for. There's so many of them. There's so many of them. You can't even keep track. Now on a more serious note, this is going to be a pretty big month, a pretty big year actually for the Supreme Court. And of course, I've, I've talked or mentioned a time or two about that that significant prophecy about the kingdom's court in uh, Amos 7 that's discussed in America Under Attack. If you don't have this book, make sure as you go into 24 now that you order America Under Attack, the 800 number, 1-866-930-3024. But the Supreme Court's got quite a few cases on the docket that they're going to be reviewing that have to do with the election steal, that have to do with removing Donald Trump from the ballot. Listen to this from MSNBC, clip 12. But if the Supreme Court does take up this 14th Amendment case, as they are expected to do, those nine justices will have not just the fate of Donald J. Trump in their hands, but arguably democracy itself. And it's not just this case that appears to be heading to the Supreme Court's doorstep. They have already agreed to review the obstruction law that could impact the federal election interference case against Trump. There's also the open question about Trump's gag order and presidential immunity. And don't forget about Mark Meadows and his efforts to move his Georgia election interference case to federal court, which could derail the criminal charges against not just him, but also Donald Trump. All of that is or could be in play for the Supreme Court, meaning the nine Supreme Court justices, well, they're in for a very Trumpy new year. A very Trumpy year. The Supreme Court justices that have put off really giving any consideration to cases involving the election, or even January 6th for that matter. Now, all of a sudden, it looks like they're going to have to confront this. They're going to have to face this. And again, based on Amos 7, the, prophet, the, the prophecy there suggests that Donald Trump is finally going to receive a little bit of help from the courts. The courts. He's, he's gotten railroaded by a lot of lower level courts. But you can see now, you can see the communist talking heads that are out there in full force saying, Justice Thomas needs to be, he needs to be recused. He needs to recuse himself. Because, uh, well, his wife, his wife, is, she's, she's a believer of the big lie. We'll come to that story in just a second. But, but with respect to removing Trump from the ballot, like those activist judges did in Colorado, and then you've got the Joe Obama supporter, the Secretary of State or the AG, I forget, in Maine, just one person unilaterally comes in and says, hey, he's off the ballot. I'm fighting for democracy. They say it in the same breath. There's some, there's some even on the left that are looking at this saying, uh, I don't know if, uh, you know, we're supposed to be the defenders of democracy and it kind of undercuts our argument when, uh, when we remove someone from the ballot. 
This is from the New York Times yesterday. The, this was, at least on the email alert, it was the top story at the email. So I'm assuming it was above the fold on the Sunday edition of the New York Times. So this is very, very serious. So serious that they had to unleash four journalists. There's four authors on the byline of this article that says, Would keeping Trump off the ballot hurt or help democracy? Now, you know where the New York Times stands. Let's get them off the ballot. But even they're trying to cover for themselves a little bit because they know this is lawfare. They know this is this is anti-democratic in every respect. So they're trying to present themselves as if, well, you know, we can we can kind of see both sides of the argument. But look, it's it's a this is I mean, we're, it's unprecedented. We've never been here before. So you can kind of sympathize with those four justices in Colorado. And then the crazy woman in Maine, this is from the New York Times, it says, some critics say the battles over the former president's ballot status are turning him into a martyr and eroding faith in American elections. It says, as the top elections official in Washington state, Steve Hobbs says, he is troubled by the threat former president Donald Trump poses to democracy and fears the prospect of his return to power. But... He also worries that recent decisions in Maine and Colorado to bar Trump from, pre- from presidential primary ballots uh, could backfire, further eroding America's fraying faith in U.S. elections. So, you know, we're, we're trying to find the middle of the road here. It's a challenging question, say these four authors at the New York Times. I'm surprised it wasn't seven, frankly. This is uh, the next paragraph saying, removing him from the ballot would be or would on its face seem very anti-democratic, says this. This is a Democrat they're quoting from from Washington state, a Democrat who is in, in his first term as secretary of state. And then the New York Times authors who gets credit for this important statement, they say, then he added a critical caveat. But so is trying to overthrow your country. Yet removing him from the ballot may seem anti-democratic, but so is trying to overthrow the government of the United States. You, You can see, as I've said so many times, just how central the fake insurrection narrative is to everything these people believe, these people write, and these people talk about. Those three former, those three former members of the Trump White House, they're all believers in the big lie. The big lie is not that the election was stolen. The big lie is that it wasn't stolen and that January 6th was an insurrection headed by Donald Trump who was trying to take over the government. That's the premise. He's never, as you know, he's never been charged for that. He's never been convicted for that. But that is the premise that these far left radicals are using to just remove him from the ballot so that you, the American people, have no say whatsoever in next year's presidential election, or at least in those Republican primaries, says Mr. Hobbs's misgivings reflect deep divisions and unease among elected officials, democracy experts. Wow, I'd like to be a democracy expert now that I think of it. And voters over how to handle Mr. Trump's campaign to overturn the 2020 election. Yeah, you're hearing some... uh, Well, there's both sides, but even to hear some Democrats saying, uh, hey, fellas, are we sure we want to do this? (laughs) It's going to be an interesting calendar year, as I keep saying. Listen to, this is a former Obama advisor, David Axelrod. You've heard him before. Listen to him over the weekend. This is clip one. All of this is is, uh, strengthening uh, him in the Republican primary. We've run this experiment uh, you know, he's only gained since he started getting indicted. Uh, you know, what you thought might be kryptonite for him has turned out to be battery packs. And this is a big one uh, for him. Uh, presumably, the Supreme Court will deal with it uh, fairly quickly. And I expect that they will leave him on the ballot. And yes, uh, Brianna, I, I, I have very, very strong reservations about all of this. I do think it would rip the country apart if he were uh, actually prevented from running because tens of millions of people uh, want to vote for him. I think if you're going to beat Donald Trump, you're going to probably have to do it at the polls. Not something you would expect an Obama acolyte to say on uh, TV, that uh, this would rip the country apart. 
But before that, you know, he talks about how that, uh, you know, it's his popularity. He's gaining popularity amid all this persecution. He's it's actually fueling his campaign. He actually has a campaign, unlike Chris Christie, and he's receiving help from these people with their nonstop attacks. The the indictments and now all the lawfare. Let's try to just remove him from the ballot. Of course, there's many on the radical left that are out there saying, hey, we got to do it. He's an insurrectionist. And now, I mean, now that it's going up to the Supreme Court and we're a little bit unsure about just how radical they are because they do have some conservative justices, we've got we've to start thinking about how we can take out a Supreme Court justice. This is Jamie Raskin from Over the Weekend, clip two. Should any of the justices recuse themselves? But I think anybody looking at this in any kind of dispassionate, reasonable way would say if your wife was involved in the big lie and claiming that Donald Trump had actually won the presidential election and been agitating for that and participating in the events leading up to January 6th, that you shouldn't be participating. So in, he should recuse himself. He should. Oh, he absolutely should recuse himself. The question is, what do we do if he doesn't recuse mm-hmm. himself? What do we do if he doesn't recuse himself? Well, you can't do anything. He's on the Supreme Court. But you can be sure that these crazy communists behind closed doors are even now. Look at the threats, the veiled threats they're giving to the bad orange man. What about the Supreme Court justices? We should start, Raskin says, this guy's in Congress. He says we should start thinking about what to do if he doesn't recuse himself. These people, they're, they're not just dangerous. They're willing to commit acts of violence to carry out their purposes and plans. Look at the, look at the summer of, Jan, of 2020, the summer of love. There's your real, real insurrection. They wanted to overthrow the government. And, and as it was happening, it was really rather shocking that Donald Trump, who was president at the time, that his DOJ, headed up by Bill Barr, that they didn't do something to crack down on that. Look at what Obama's DOJ did the moment they set up this fake insurrection. There should have been a price to pay for all of that murder and mayhem and burning and looting that went on for months in 2020. And then they threatened to do it if Donald Trump somehow pulled out the victory. Well, as we know, they were able to pull off the steal And the big lie, the big lie is that the election was perfect and that on January 6th, Donald Trump led an an insurrection to try to overthrow the government, an unarmed insurrection after which Donald Trump quietly left the White House and flew back to Mar-a-Lago. What an insurrection! What an attempted overthrow! I speak as a fool. So many big lies. As I say, the fake news, we're going to be steamrolled by it again in this calendar year. And meanwhile, the country, the country goes up in flames. CNN says here, a new surge of migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border is overwhelming already stretched resources and prompting urgent talks with Mexican officials as December border crossings reached a record monthly high. And so Joe Bama, he's got to send he's got to send some emissaries down to Mexico and pretend like they want to do something about this, but they don't want to do anything. That's why they're threatening Texas. Texas comes out the other day a week or two ago and says, "Hey, we're going to start arresting these illegals and send them home ourselves." And Obama's DOJ says, "No, no, you better not do that. We'll fight you on that." And then you've got the the locals, Eric Adams in New York City, he's crying out for help. And they're doing the same in Chicago and other places. Even as they denounce Governor Abbott or whoever it is at the South, whoever it is that's a Republican, let's put it that way. Listen to this crazy response to a question from the Chicago mayor, Brandon Johnson. This is clip four. Not only are we providing uh, mental health related services as well as vaccinations and health screenings and providing um, me- medical health care for these families when they arrive the moment they get off those buses, 
We're not seeing that same treatment on the border. In other words, there's no health screenings, no vaccinations. That process at the border is absolutely raggedy and, and reckless. But we cannot have a governor who decides that he's going to uh, yeah. cling to the vestiges of Jefferson Davis. There you go, Governor Abbott. He's uh, heading up the Confederate South. <laughs> so, so it's, it's so predictable what they throw out race, whatever you have to, as if Governor Abbott's in charge of what's happening. It's the feds, and the feds are down there doing nothing. They're helping the cartels, as you'll see here in a moment, which is why Governor Abbott is saying, okay, we'll have, this is what we'll do. We'll send them back. But here's this guy in Chicago saying, listen, listen, Governor Abbott's not compassionate like I am. We're giving them screenings. We're giving them health. We're giving them everything. This is, this is exactly why Americans want the border closed. And it could be closed. It could be closed in a matter of weeks. If Joe Obama would use the laws that are already on the book and use the resources to close the, the, the resources that they are sending down there, but it's not, they're not sending it there to close the border. They're sending the resources down there to expedite the process of moving them through, if you can believe it. This is... Uh, Clip five. This is Texas AG Ken Paxton commenting on how the DOJ, Barack Obama's DOJ, is threatening the state of Texas because of this law that goes into effect, I guess, in March. Clip five. It's pretty crazy to see what's happened over the last three years of the Biden administration. Those numbers, as you've seen, get worse, not better. It's not like they're solving the problem. They're actually helping aid and abet the cartels. And then Texas says, we've had enough. We're going to do something about it. And then they threaten us from enforcing our own laws. It seems pretty crazy, and it's hard to believe that we have a, a government that is working against its own citizens and helping the cartels move as many people across the border as possible. It's hard to believe we have a government working against its own citizens. That, my friends, is a fundamental transformation of the United States of America. America is being fundamentally Transform. This was from uh, Donald Trump. He put this out on Truth Social over the weekend. He says, it's becoming more and more obvious to me why the crazed Democrats are allowing millions and millions of totally unvetted migrants into our once great country. It's so they can vote, vote, vote. See, they had the mass mail-in balloting back in 2020, the scamdemic all of the, the ballot harvesting, they can't do that. Not on the scale that they did in 2020. They can't use the same exact playbook this time around. So this time, and Trump is right. Trump is, they are processing these people as fast as possible in order to get them to vote. That's what it, that's what it amounts to. It says they're signing them up at a rapid pace without even knowing who they are. It all makes sense now. Republicans better wake up and do something before it's too late. Well, <laughs> fat chance of that happening. He's the only one. He's the only one dropping truth bombs right and left. He's not even in power. He's not even in government. He's just down in Mar-a-Lago as a private citizen. But Mitch McConnell, the new Speaker of the House, what are they doing? I saw a tweet the other day, I forget which politician sent it out, and the response to it from a conservative commentator was, wow, what a strong tweet. Now, what are you going to do? I think it was about all the Biden crimes, all the money that they've received into the Biden crime family. This is well-established fact, says this politician. And then the commentator says, what? that's a, a fantastic tweet. That's a strongly worded tweet. But what are you going to do? Are you going to do anything? Well, I said Amos 7 suggests that there's a, a little bit of help in store from the kingdom's court. But you look at that uh, prophecy in 2 Kings 14, and well, it says God has to save Israel by the hand of Jeroboam because he has no helper. Not that he could do it even if he had helpers. I mean, this is God's doing. God's going to have to intervene because look, they're recruiting, this is what it amounts to, they're recruiting voters. Whether or not they can get them on the rolls, as fast as the next 10 months remains to be seen.
But looking at it long term, they are recruiting, the communist left, they're recruiting tens of millions of Democrat voters because they're coming across the border and the Democrats want to give them everything. Joe Biden's sending people down to the border, border agents, to help expedite the process. And then Texas says, that's enough, we're sending them back. Oh, no, you're not, says Obama's DOJ. This is real. CBS had a discussion about Obama's DOJ facing off uh, against, against what Texas just passed. This is uh, clip three. Texas's governor um, has signed into law that hasn't yet taken effect, but it would in March. That's right. Um, the ability for his state law enforcement to stop migrants and uh, arrest them. This law not only allows Texas to prosecute and jail migrants on actions that are already already legal on federal grounds, on federal statutes, but it also allows state judges to issue what are effectively deportation orders, even though Mexico has said that it will reject returns of migrants from the state of Texas. The Justice Department has given Texas until Wednesday to say that it will abandon plans to enforce this law as planned in March, but that is very unlikely to happen. In Texas, I think, will try to implement this law. So we should expect a prolonged legal battle, Margaret. It's not even like Joe Obama's trying to hide the fact that they want the border wide open. They want to welcome, they've already welcomed in as many as 10 million illegals in just three years' time. Texas is saying we're overrun and we've got to start sending them back. And the Department of Justice, those three women that used to work for the Trump White House are worried about Donald Trump weaponizing the Department of Justice or whatever department it is. And right there in front of them, in plain view, you have Obama's DOJ saying, don't you dare send an illegal immigrant back. Don't you dare punish someone who broke our laws. We want them all coming in. They're future voters for the Democrat Party. Listen to one more comment from the Texas AG, Ken Paxton. This is clip six. There's no doubt that the Mexican government could do more to help us. And they and they did under the Trump administration because President Trump insisted on it. But there is no doubt that the cartels have been incentivized. They're making billions of dollars. They make, you know, eight to twelve thousand dollars a person that they bring. So they're incentivized to bring as many people as possible. And remember, it used to be the way Border Patrol worked. They were there to stop people from coming across the border. And now the cartel doesn't try to hide people. They don't try to sneak people across. They take them directly to Border Patrol. It's like a handoff. So it's a partnership. It's a partnership between Barack Obama and the cartels. The cartels make their billions, and who knows, who knows how many millions the Obamas, the Bidens, the Clintons, and all of them receive in return. You know, the back channel deals, the pay to play. Hey, let them in, and we'll make our billions, and we'll make sure that you fat cats are taken care of as well over in D.C., they're, they're partners in this. That, that's America being attacked. It's an invasion. In the plane of day, the cartels are no longer even sneaking them in. What an easy gig this is for them. They don't have to be sneaky or coy about it or anything. They can just say, hey, we'll take you right to the border. We'll hand you over to the Obama agents. And they'll send you all over the country. The state of Texas decides to push back just a little bit. And here comes Barack Hussein Obama's Department of Justice. The Department of Justice has been so completely and thoroughly weaponized by the dear leader, not not Donald Trump. Trump couldn't even get Bill Barr to crack down on the summer of love. They were just rampaging through the streets, these Obama thugs. Burning cities, killing people, punching, knocking people out, smashing their teeth into the pavement. It went on for months, didn't it? It sure did. It's not even just in this country, this problem of, of migrants just running. We shouldn't even call them migrants. They're illegals. 
They're illegal immigrants. But they want to sugarcoat it, the communists, and make it seem like these people, they're just women and children. They're fleeing from, bad, from dangerous situations in Central America, really. They're all young, military-age, single men. That's the truth. This report out of Germany, by the way, that something like 7,000 German women have been raped from 2015 to today by illegal immigrants. 7,000 German women. What kind of percentages are we talking about here? Sundance says here, it is well known that amid all violent crimes, rape and sexual assault are underreported by victims. So the latest statistics from Germany are even more alarming than would appear on the surface. It says here, overall irregular migrants, the term given to those who illegally enter Germany and then gain asylum. See, they sugarcoat it over there as well. And this is about to change. There, there, this world is about to explode. You think the nationalist fervor is just limited to here in the United States or maybe Argentina as an aberration. It's about to explode across Europe as well because the world's about to explode. Irregular migrants, that's the term they give to illegals, they represent approximately 2.5% of the overall population from the period of 2015 through 2022. However, the same group represented 13.1% of all rape and sexual assault cases. And then you add to that, like Sundance brings out, these sex crimes are always underreported. So the illegals make up 2.5% of the population in Germany, and yet they're, they're carrying out 13% of the rapes. So just take those figures and bring it across the pond to the United States. We don't, we don't know what the actual, because it doesn't get reported. At least it got reported in Germany. I mean, as I say, it's not just the war in 24 here in the U.S. This is the world in 2024 as people wake up to the explosions all around them. 13.1% of all rape and sexual assault cases. An irregular migrant or an illegal is four to five times more likely to commit a sexual crime than a, to, to commit a sexual crime against a German woman. Four to five times more likely. So here again, just to go back what, to what the bad orange man said, at the very beginning, of his political run, 2015, just coming down from the escalator, they're not sending their best. Remember that? Remember, remember the talking heads gang-tackling Don, Donald Trump for saying that they're sending across rapists? Well, are they? Are they sending across criminals? They're emptying their insane asylums. They're emptying their prisons. Are there some good people mixed in? Presumably so. But what country in their right mind would just kick the doors wide open and say, hey, anyone and everyone, come on in. Send whoever you want. Well, that report out of Germany gives us just a little sampling. It gives us a, a pretty alarming percentage of what's going on. It's kind of like all the vaccine deaths. It's just one of those things that doesn't get coverage because, well, the communists left. They don't want that to get out. They don't want the truth to get out. They've got a steady diet of fake news for you to consume in 2024. In 2024, there's plenty more fake news. It was funny just looking at this tweet this morning put out by the Biden team. They're having to announce their accomplishments. And of course, they have to put out the tweet because it's, it's just been a dreadful, disastrous year for these people, for their policies. This is, this is what they've accomplished. Tackled inf inflation and lowered costs. Notice how general and vague all of these are. Or very woke and left wing 
tackled, we've tackled the climate crisis. Did you know this about 2023? I haven't even had time to get to the story about Tesla. Tesla's the only one that's even making a little bit of money. You've got all of these EV companies going under in this so-called revolution. You know, we're changing over to the woke revolution of everything powered by electricity because electricity is free, I guess. In fact, it's not going so well. But here, this is one of the talking points from this past year. Joe Biden's really proud of how he tackled the climate crisis. Another one, invested in America and created good jobs. There you go. Americans are happy, I guess. We've got jobs everywhere. The fake president, by the way, he gave an incoherent answer just yesterday, I believe, when asked about what he's most proud of. And he said, all these jobs are just everywhere. People are prospering like never before. The economy's perfect. Another one, protected access to reproductive health care. We, we've really helped women to get abortions. That, we're really proud of that one. Another one, made America safer from gun violence. Really? You've got crime skyrocketing in every major city. He's claiming that America is now safer. Everything's safe made higher education more affordable. And then the last one here, strengthen democracy at home and abroad. They're out strengthening democracy, even as they remove Donald Trump from the ballot. And they've strengthened democracy abroad as well. Listen to the explanation underneath this point. It says here, stood up for our allies and partners in Israel, Ukraine, and across the globe. This is laughable, given what Given what they're doing, the Joe Bama people are doing to Israel right now. We've got the story later on. This is from PJ Media. The Daily Caller reported Saturday that uh, the addled and aging corruptocrat reportedly hung up on Prime Minister Netanyahu after a heated phone call about the Palestinian tax revenue dispute. This is straight out of Barack Obama's playbook. They hate them some Israel. All things Israel. You saw the spirit behind this, this insane hatred of Jewish people following October 7. As left-wingers came out, blamed Israel, took to the streets, cheered on Hamas, said that women weren't actually raped on October 7, that babies weren't killed. Now here's, here's where we are. It says, news of this latest embarrassment comes from two U.S. and Israeli officials and a source with knowledge of the issue. No one seems to be saying that old Joe, in the fog of his galloping dementia, uh, mistook Netanyahu for an annoyingly uh, persistent telemarketer. So apparently the hang-up uh, was entirely intentional. Yeah, why is this not getting coverage at the New York Times or the Washington Post? Well, they've, they've got the team of reporters working on, you know, look, it's difficult, this, this call between letting Trump stay on the ballot and removing him because he's an insurrectionist. It says here, the dispute revolves around the fact that amid the Israel-Hamas war, the Israeli government has refused to release some tax revenues it collects for the Palestinian Authority that it says would go to the terrorist group Hamas. This is a time of war. Imagine, again, just imagine this standard being held to anyone else. Listen, listen, Zelensky, give that money to Putin. I mean, Putin, he deserves those tax revenues. I mean, it really, it's for Russian people, okay? It's for the Russian people. But in this case, you see, here comes Joe Obama, says, hey, you give that tax revenue to the Palestinian Authority, and Bibi knows it goes straight to Hamas's war effort. So Bibi says, no, we're going to freeze it. We're in the middle of a war here. You know what side Barack Hussein Obama's on. You know what side the dear leader's on. Couldn't have been, it couldn't have been more clear during his eight years in office. And even during the, the four years where he ran the shadow government, attacking Donald Trump, this man hates Israel and the Jews. He wants to see them destroyed. 
So many of them do on the radical left. That's why, that's why when they take to the streets and chant from the river to the sea, people cheer. It's like Doug Murray said, okay, okay, Pierce, if you go to a, if you go, they, they don't all sing that, said Pierce Morgan. And then Doug Murray said, look, if you go out on the first Saturday for those protests and you hear that going on all around you, you mean to say you're going to turn out on the second protest where they're still chanting from the river to the sea? Do they give Donald Trump supporters or protesters that kind of leeway or latitude? Now listen, not all of them were insurrectionists. That's not going to fly. That's not going to fly with the communist left. Here is Barack Hussein Obama. He's twisting the arm of Benjamin Netanyahu, whom he hates with a passion, saying, you better give money to your enemy. That's their money. He has no problem. These are the same people, of course, that are calling for the ceasefire because they want Hamas to survive the counteroffensive. They want, they want Hamas right where they are. They want the Houthis where they are. They want Hezbollah in place. These are all Iranian proxies. Look, Iran, Iran's using the Houthis right now to attack American ships. And what is America doing? What is John Kirby saying? I wish the Houthis would stop. It's just, it's a fundamental transformation of the United States of America. All the enemies have been empowered and they're using that power and they're, they're being funded by people like Barack Hussein Obama, those that are coming with the message saying, hey, let's stand down. Let's make sure the Palestinians get all their money. They love, I mean, they were some of the biggest funders of the Palestinians, Barack Obama, Joe Biden. Back to this list of accomplishments. Strengthen democracy at home and abroad. It says here, we stood up for our allies and partners in Israel, Ukraine, and across the globe and strengthened our alliances around the world. We spoke out against discrimination, uh, racism. How How about speaking out against the rabid Jew hatred that happened just a few weeks ago. Did anyone in the Obama administration do that? Did, it, did any of Joe Biden's people do that? Evidently, they've really spoken out against racism, against anti-LGBTQI plus hate, and we pushed for stronger voting rights. These are the list of accomplishments that Joe Obama has to tweet out because no one knows you ask, you ask people on the street, even in places like Queens, you've seen the clips. What are the accomplishments? Uh, I don't think there have been any. You get, either get crickets or you get, we've got to bring back Trump. We've got to bring back Trump to fix this. This is a dumpster fire all around us. That said, whatever Obama is out there, sorry, whatever Joe Biden, they're one and the same. Biden's the puppet and Barack, the dear leader is the puppet master. They've got to tweet out their list of accomplishments because they know there aren't any. So the fake news continues. There's plenty more in 24. Yet, in some cases, you do get a little bit of truth in the middle of all of that fakery, in the midst of all of that phoniness. Here's a bit from MSNBC, clip seven. What kind of year has he had politically? Well, again, he started 2023 coming off those good midterms for Democrats and his approval rating, you know, 4650 wasn't that bad, but it's taken a hit this year. And as we start to close out the year, our final NBC poll had him at just 40 percent approval, 57 percent disapproval. Yes, he's taken a hit this year, a massive hit. And they know it behind the scenes. They know it. That's why they're putting their foot to not the brakes, the accelerator. We've got to bring in tens of millions more. We've got to find a way to rig this next election, to cheat our way to the top like we did last time, to create another big lie. Listen to this from uh, Fox News. I mean, again, th- these, are, these are some numbers that they know, Joe Obama's people know, but uh, they're not out there. They're tweeting that, hey, we're, this, was a, his, this is the, the, the headline of the tweet. 2023 major accomplishments of the Biden-Harris administration. Major accomplishments. 
This is uh, from Fox News over the weekend. Clip 15. Well, it's appearing more and more evident that a rematch of the 2020 race could be on our horizon. But this time around, the way voters view President Biden has changed dramatically. After a chaotic first term plagued by the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan, spiking inflation and a crisis at our southern border, to name, of course, just a few. The New York Times opinion essay is warning the Biden campaign that Voters may see Donald Trump as a safer pick this time around to get the country back on track. President Trump is leading Biden in five of the six key swing states, including Joe Biden's home state of Pennsylvania, where Democrats are flipping to the Republican Party in droves. Over 35,000 Democrats re-registered as Republicans in the state so far this year to around 15,000 Republicans. That's a swing state there. Pennsylvania, I mean, they got away with massive cheating in some of those blue districts, Philadelphia and so on. But that's 35,000 Democrats saying, you know what, I'm going to switch over to the Republican Party. That's more than twice the number that are doing the opposite. Those are devastating numbers. And they're happening in every swing state, as she noted there. Trump leading in the polls and people saying, I think Trump is the safer pick. All the talking heads, Chris Christie and everyone, saying he's a liar. He's dangerous. He's going to destroy democracy. He's followed by cult members. He's uh, inciting violence. And then you've got just the silent majority. You've got the silent majority that's out there saying, you know, if they're honest, I kind of think Trump would be a a safer pick. I think I'm prepared to go with Trump. We have a lot to cover in this calendar year. I'll finish with a couple of emails. But first, make sure that if you haven't requested your free copy of America Under Attack, Uh, Do so today. You can call our 800 number there on the screen, 1-866-930-3024. Feedback for the show, tdatthetrumpet.com. And make sure if you're at our Rumble channel, if you're at the Rumble channel right now, make sure that you give us the Rumble thumbs up. Let's set a record for Rumble thumbs up on today's show. A couple of emails. Sam Livingston, you have done another amazing job. This comes in from Mr. Livingston's father at the Trumpet Daily. Although we miss Mr. Flurry, this show made up with information. Absolutely loved seeing the 1995 episode uh, with Mr. Gerald Flurry with the Iran, the Iran prophecy. So much fulfillment of prophecy of late that it makes your head swirl. And you always do an incredible job of condensing all within a short hour. Keep up. Uh, the great work that comes from a consistent viewer down in central uh, or coastal Texas. Another one here says, this is in regard to Sam's program, um, what was it, I guess last Tuesday he subbed in for me. It says, greetings Mr. Livingston, today was my first experience watching you filling in for Stephen Flurry. Your work is quite outstanding. Uh, one last one quickly, I've seen uh, Well, I just don't have time to get to it. It's a little bit of a longer one. I don't want to read just part of it because it's a pretty good comment. I'll see if I can get to a few more emails on today's show. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show. And of course, of course, we'll see you tomorrow.